I was open to meeting people. I was open to having adventures. And so when you're vibrating that genuinely and you're not scared, you're like, hey, there's this great big world out there and I want to go see it and explore it. And there's something to be learned from everything. You're going to be open to all kinds of experiences. So you're going to meet people and, you know, the universe is compelled to put you in situations so that you can learn and master lessons, right? And if you don't learn them, you, you tend to repeat the experiences. And, and if you do learn them, then you get to go on and move on to better lessons or more lessons or different lessons. I want to be my current self from this point forward. I want to learn how to play piano. Working with human beings. Drinking wine in the middle of the day. I want to be a Driver. I'm going to be the next greatest painter. Just kind of work with kids, getting them ahead in life. I want to be a welder. I want to be a beach bum. I want to be a baseball player. Brewmaster. A winemaker. Professional snuggler. Let me mention those sweet, hot lavender baths and writing in the evening. What's up, everybody? I'm Blake Fletcher, and this is the Half Hour Intern Podcast, where we explore the interesting paths people take in life. If you'd like to support episodes like this being made, please check out the show's Patreon page at patreon.com slash halfhourintern, where if you support the show, you will get bonus content for a lot of the episodes like today's episode. Uh, Sapiwe told us about his favorite exercises, his favorite countries in the world, and his favorite truck stop in the United States. So um, in today's episode, I interview Sapiwe Balika, who is one of the more interesting and amazing and super cool people that I have ever had the pleasure of talking to. He has such an incredible life story. And luckily, we actually get to talk about a lot of it in the interview today. As I say during the interview, typically with these episodes, I try to really stick to one thing with a guest. Like if they are a... Uh, a veterinarian. Okay, we're, we got to stick to you being a veterinarian. Like, I understand that you're a veterinarian and you also won uh, like a beauty pageant when you were 19 years old or something. But we can't really talk about the beauty pageant part. We're just going to talk about the part of you being a veterinarian. So Piwe has done so many interesting things in his life. So we kind of have to cover it all. So I'm excited for you guys to just listen to his entire story. Um, but anyways, most recently and currently, he is known as America's Fittest Trucker. And two days ago, as of this episode's release, he just came out with a book called Four Minute Fit, the metabolism accelerator for the time crunched, desk bound, and stressed out. So after traveling the world for 15 years, Sapiwe finally decided to come home and he was trying to figure out what sort of job to get. And he met with a friend who was a truck driver. And that sounded like a pretty good job to Sapiwe because he was used to traveling all over the place. He didn't really have anything that was tying him down to one location at the time. So he became a truck driver. And within two months, he gained uh, over 10% of his body weight. And he saw this, you know, obviously not only with himself, but being a huge problem for all truck drivers everywhere. It's incredibly difficult to eat well, um, to find any sort of time or way to exercise when you're on the road. It's difficult to get good sleep, which then kind of throws off your hormones and everything like that. So Sapiwe, being the type of person that he is and having the life experiences that he had, he decided, I need to do something about this. So he came up with a really good fitness regimen for himself on the road, and it worked out so well that he ended up taking it to the CEO of the entire trucking operation that he worked for, Prime Trucking, which is one of like the biggest trucking companies in the country. And uh, the CEO decided to bring him on basically as a fitness consultant to try to help lower the obesity rate in their fleet. And uh, he ended up cutting the obesity rate in their fleet by 20% below the national average. And it's done all these amazing things for people in their fleet. And we talk about um, not only the physical changes that he helps people go through, but also the mental changes uh, that people go through when they make these kinds of transformations in their lives. 
And I know that that title might sound like it's trying to be um, cliche or in your face or catchy and that it's not really going to take four minutes or this or that. But the four minute fit is a very real thing. And uh, because he basically talks about kickstarting your metabolism in only four minutes a day and doing that uh, hopefully early in the morning so that your metabolism and your hormones are ignited throughout the day um, so that you are continuously burning fat the way that your body kind of should be and everything. So we will talk all about that during the interview. I absolutely love this episode. I love Sapiwe. I'm sure you guys will as well. Without further ado, here is America's Fittest Trucker. Sapiwe, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Hey, thanks for having me, Blake. I'm, I'm excited, man. Yeah, so am I. You are. I, we just got to talk a little bit before the interview got started, and I feel like you and I are like kindred spirits. I'm really excited to have you on, and we care about a lot of the same things. I would love before we get into fitness and truck driving and all of these more recent things that you're doing, if we can go in the past a little bit and have you tell us all about your history, because I feel like you have lived such an incredibly interesting life that kind of got you to where you are at right now. So if you could take us back to your youth and being a swimmer and going to Yale and trying out for the Olympics and some of these, <laughs> these early things that happened in your life. Sure. Um, well, I was born and raised outside of Chicago. Uh, I was raised by my father. Um, and we always hear about the single moms. We don't usually hear about the single dads. So I always like to talk about my father. Yeah. Uh, we were one of, if not the first, first or second black family to move to this, um, this area it was all white area. Um, and that was interesting in and of itself. Uh, played a lot of sports as I was, you know, as a kid was deathly afraid of the water when I was four. So my father's like, you're going to take swim lessons. And he took me to a place where the way they teach you is they march you to the deep end and push you off the diving board. <laughs> wow. That's great. <laughs> no, it was terrifying. And, uh, I, and I have very vivid memories of that. Um, but ironically I, I became a state champion swimmer at the age of 10. I was a nationally high, uh, nationally ranked high school swimmer, went off to swim at Yale university um, had a great swimming career. Uh, and all during this time, you know, I was at a level where people were saying things like you could be the first African-American on the U S Olympic swimming team. Um, and I thought about that when I was a, a kid, when I was, you know, nine, 10, 11 years old. And by the time I was 12, went to go see my uncle who, um, uncle through marriage, um, who had won a gold medal in the 110 meter high hurdles at the Tokyo Olympics. And he was like, look, if you want to get an Olympic medal, you, you got to make a commitment. You know, Olympic swimmers are 19, 20, 22, 23 years old. So you're talking about the next 10, 12 years of your life. Uh, but I wanted it uh, wow. early. Yeah. Uh, so I, I did. I made that commitment. Uh, so by the time I got to Yale, I was getting pretty close. And in 1992, I had an opportunity to... Um, you know, that's the, where you're qualifying for, for, for the Barcelona games. And I went to a meet where I could qualify and I, I missed qualifying for us Olympic trials by eight tenths of a second. And I, just yeah. like that, it was over. <laughs> that's, it's so crazy. That's just so, so crazy. I, I, I mean, what, I, I don't even like know where to be like, well, I guess what is, what is that like? Cause none of us have ever really experienced something like that. Like, I can't imagine dedicating so much time to something, especially in your youth and feeling like you sacrificed a certain amount of your youth. And then also with all of the 
emotion that is involved in things when you're young you know like i feel like every year older that i get like the more okay i am with things not going my way or something but when you're younger you get so wrapped up in things emotionally what was that like for you well this is gonna be strange um i'm gonna tell you so all this time when i was training uh i'm around other swimmers who are state champions and national champions and NCAA champions and world, you know, uh, other Olympians and world record holders. I was around the very best in the sport, training with them, living with them. I just kind of took it for granted that if I'm doing the same thing that they're doing, then I'm going to reach the same levels that, that they reach. So there was, I didn't feel like a ton of pressure I just kind of took it for granted that, hey, I'm putting in the work. I'm going to do this and, and I'm going to get to this point and, and then I'll have a, a shot. So when it didn't happen, it was kind of like a shock. It was like a for the first time in my life, I wasn't as good as I thought I was. Yeah. Yeah. And that is that realization um, was the really challenging part that I had to deal with because I just kind of took it to gr for granted that I was part of this class of people called, you know, Olympic trial qualifiers or Olympians. Uh, it was just part of my destiny. I just, this was going to happen because I'm, I want it and I'm doing it. And then everything else happened. I became a state champion and I, you know, I went to nationals and I did all these things. So why wouldn't this happen too? So mm. I never thought beyond it. And, you know, when it was over, I, you know, I cried and, uh, I didn't know what was next. I, and I had this moment where I just, it was like an open, an open book or a blank canvas. I, I didn't have any thought or conception or idea what to do after swimming. Yeah. That's what makes that whole entire thing. So that whole experience so difficult to me. And so interesting is one, you are left with the, um, kind of heartbreak of having this goal that you had planned on not coming to fruition. And two, it makes me think a lot of um, like back when I graduated college and what a bizarre experience that was for me. And I assume most college graduates of or, or high school graduates or whatever it is, is every year of your life up until that point is planned. It's like you're just laying down railroad track in front of yourself or, or the rest of the world is laying down railroad track in front of you. It would be more appropriate. And you, you just always get to just cruise you know it's like okay well i know that next year i'm going to be in 11th grade then the next year i'm going to be in 12th grade and then the next year i'm going to go to college and it's like all these plans are laid out for you and then when you graduate college like i remember being super depressed and super shocked and super whatever because it's just like what happens now and it's such a bizarre feeling of the unknown and just this unbelievable level of openness and and yet i could anticipate that happening like i i i knew my whole senior year i knew that in may i was going to be graduating you know um versus for you with the olympic trials and everything this is something you were looking up to you know looking forward to your entire life and then all of a sudden, this track is no longer being laid out before you, and there was no anticipation for it whatsoever. So it's like yeah. a double whammy. It's like the depression of just the thing happening to begin with, and then B, it's like, wh where the hell do I go from here? And I wasn't planning on going anywhere but here. So what happens now? And you know, for me, it was even a little more intense because I knew what I was going to do the hour I woke up. Right. Three hours after I woke up 
um, what I was going to do for training that week, that month, that season, how that fit into a year-long plan, how that fit into a quadrennial cycle. I mean, the level of detail and planning that I that I was following, which became very natural for me, I mean, it was detail. I literally knew everything that I needed to do from the moment I woke up till the end of that day, every day, every week, every month, every year wow, for like 10 yeah. or 12 years. Damn. Um, yeah. But now here on the flip side, Blake, check this out. So yeah, I had the moment where I was shocked. I was depressed. Uh, I had sort of a, a, a crisis internal crisis that I had to deal with that yeah, did land me in an attempted suicide in the hospital, which at the same time, I'm a philosophy major, Blake, and I'm studying existential philosophy. Uh, yeah, yeah. Which wasn't helping at the time. I bet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Very quickly, I realized that I had this moment, this very wonderful pregnant moment where I had a blank canvas. For the first time, I was free. There was nothing I had to do, and I could do anything, anything my imagination right could come up with. And I saw that as a great opportunity. So I very quickly became energized and took what, um, I mean, at the time I was reading a, a, a book by Soren Kierkegaard, this Danish philosopher, and he talks about making a leap of faith. So I was kind of mentally, I got to the point where I was prepared to do that in a radical way. Like, wow, I really I may never get this opportunity again where I, I don't have any responsibilities. I don't have to do anything. I can do whatever I want. So I seized it and I was like, I don't want to swim. I don't want to be at school. I don't want to do any of this stuff. I want to go surfing and I want to travel the world and I want to do it now before you know I get too old and can't enjoy it. And I don't care that I don't have any money and that I don't have any plans. I'm just going to step out on faith and you know see what the world has. And so I literally, three days after we won the, the Ivy League championship, for the first time in, I don't know, 15 years. Like When I got to Yale, they were the worst swim team in the league. They were at the bottom of the barrel. And in four years, we became the Ivy League champions. Three days later, I just left school. And I I showed. I remember I showed up at my dad's at his house. I was like, Dad, I'm tired of reading about Jesus and the Buddha and all these great spiritual luminaries. I want to live like them. So, hey, just letting you know, I left school. I'm going to go travel the world. Don't know when I'm coming back, if ever. Love you. Thanks. See ya. And I'm gone. Uh, that's so wonderful. I I could not love that more. Um, God, it's just so great. So it, th this this interview is going to hey, be so probably, great. You I, probably could love that, but my father didn't love that. I know. Because... Yeah, yeah, totally. He's like, all right, Jesus, get out of here. Like, <laughs> it's not going to go for you. Like, yeah, totally. Um, Plus, Yale is an expensive school, and they don't give athletic scholarships. So here he was paying for it, and I'm like two months from graduation. And I'm not in academic trouble. I mean, I, I have like a 3.3 grade point average, 3.6 in my major. It's not like I'm leaving school because I'm in trouble. Wow. Yeah. Academic. And I was only two months away. So he, he didn't see it coming. He, he didn't know what had happened. So he wasn't all that happy about it. I, I, I can't believe he wasn't like, just for the love of God, you have to just go for these next two months and then you can do whatever you want. If he was trying to say that, I didn't give him the opportunity because I was gone. I was up. I went to Huntington Beach and I went surfing. And from there, I was around the world and I was just, I was on it. He, he didn't even, he didn't know where I was for a great deal of time. Like I just disappear and nobody knew where I was. And I know that it hurt him 
on a lot of levels, you know, I know now. And eventually I did go back and graduate mostly to honor my father. But I think that that was a rough time for him. Yeah, yeah, I'd imagine. So, Sapiwe, this is one of the main reasons that I was so excited for this interview is is typically on the show, I try to sort of keep things compartmentalized to like one topic for the show, you know, like, um, so and when I was trying to come up with like ideas for your interview, I was like, okay, do we talk about being a truck driver? Do we talk about fitness? Like, what, you know, what exactly do we talk about? And at the end, I was just like, screw it. We just have to talk about all this stuff. And more importantly, like there's there's like good philosophical stuff to talk about with you and everything. And so one of the other extra things that I wanted to talk about was this experience of traveling the world for 15 years. We've had other like kind of world traveling people on the show, but no one that has actually done it for that long. And I would love to know about uh, just the logistics of actually doing that. Like, what the hell did you do for money everywhere you were going? How long would you stay in each place? Like, just tell us about the whole experience. Yeah, it, it's one of those things where, one, I didn't have a game plan. When I left Yale, I left with a sleeping bag, a jar of peanut butter, and 30 bucks. Um, And what I found was I would arrive somewhere and... I was open to meeting people. I was open to having adventures. And so when you're vibrating that genuinely and you're not scared, you're like, hey, there's this great big world out there and I want to go see it and explore it. And there's something to be learned from everything. You're going to be open to all kinds of experiences. So you're going to meet people and, you know, the universe is compelled to put you in situations so that you can learn and master lessons, right? And if you don't learn them, you, you can repeat the experiences. And, and if you do learn them, then you get to go on and move on to better lessons or more lessons or different lessons. So what I found was I would go someplace and I'd find out, you know, I'd see what was there and I would meet people and they might be interested in me and they might invite me to come you know, hey, do you need a place to stay tonight? And maybe I was like, the answer, yeah, I did. Well, why don't you come up? So I, I might stay with them. And then we get to talking and find out that they're involved in some organic farming project. And I'd be like, oh, that's amazing. Can I come to the farm with you? And then I'd start working there and um, maybe earn a little money. And so every situation was dynamic. And what what I found was that you and people say this all the time success gurus and you hear this in ted talks and all kinds of stuff you literally do the things that you need you attract you might not always recognize them because you think they're going to come in a certain package but it comes in a different package then you're going to miss them so if you're not looking at the outward packaging and you're just open to the experience yeah the universe is going to supply you what you need so it might be an odd job that i was like when i went to huntington beach uh, there were a lot of foreign surfers out there and I started talking to them. I'm like, well, how do you afford to do this? They're like, oh, we stay at this hostel, right? And there's this moving company and every day they come and, um, you know, they pick up a couple of, of us up and we'll work all day. We'll make 60 bucks. And so we have this schedule where we each work three days and it's enough to cover our, uh, our bill at the hostel and for food. So we work three days and we surf four days. So I was like, oh, that's cool. Let me do that for a while. Yeah. Um, so you, you, you find ways. Um, if you have a, a spirit or a mind where you, 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 you want to help, you want to be involved in what's going on around you, you want to contribute in some way, whether it's manual work or technical work, like setting up a 501c3 organization and writing grant proposals. So wherever I'd go, I'd find what's the need, 
what can I do to help? How can I help the people that are around me? And they may not have any money themselves, but if I'm doing something that helps them, they're like, hey, we can't pay you, but we can let you stay here and you can eat with us. Yeah, yeah. And I was, I was, I was fine with that. And I'd stay as long as a project required or I was helpful or I got restless and I need to move. And it's a very, or, like, it's a very organic and natural process to go from one place to another. Someone, you know, that you meet in one place will introduce you to someone else and, and you just kind of flow. It's, it's like surfing itself. Yeah, it's great. It's funny. You, you mentioned earlier about wanting to do, wanting to travel the world before you got too old. It's like, these are obviously things that you could be doing now, but I, I feel like the older that we get, the more that we are tied to security, unfortunately, you know? And when you're like, I, I feel like a, probably a large part of everything working out and, and, and happening the right way for you has to do with, like you said, just kind of your spirit and your attitude throughout the whole thing and not being afraid of what's next and not um, being afraid of like, oh, am I going to find a place to sleep tonight? Because so much of the time when we get in our heads and we start questioning all these things, then it's like you, you kind of get in your own way. Like you don't, you don't even notice that you're getting in your own way, um, but you are, you know, or you're blocking this, this energy that could be, that could be coming through to you. So it, it sounds like there was a lot of just like allowing the right things to happen for you. Sure. And it, maybe I didn't get an invitation to sleep somewhere. So I was perfectly happy. Like, wow, man, all my life I've been sleeping inside in a bed. I'm sleeping outside and I can literally see the stars. So I didn't have a problem sleeping outside, right? Uh, finding a secluded place and just rolling out my sleeping bag and doing that. To me, that was part of the experience. It's like, wow, this is new. This is great. Man, there's no roof over my head. So I had those moments too. And it's it's all your perception. If you think that that's a hardship or you feel that if all you're thinking about is somebody could attack me, then that's going to be a miserable experience. Right. But if you're like, wow, I'm going to fall asleep looking at stars. That's totally different. So, you know, it's almost like one of those things. So for, in, a, in a lot of ways, I was homeless for quite some time, but homeless by choice. Now, if you fall into homelessness through hardship, it's a very different experience, right? You would never want that. But when you choose it because for, for whatever reasons, you're like nuts like I was at the time, right? um, you just get something different out of it. But what I found was um, when you are a benefit or help to the people around you, they will help you in return. And so that's what it was all about. How do I help the people around me? Yeah, that's a great lesson to get. How long would you stay in a particular country for before you would move on? Um, the longest I stayed in one country was Ethiopia. I stayed there for a year. Amazing. One of my favorite places on earth. Um, a land of contrast, right? Mm -hmm. You have the ancient 3,000, 5,000 year old civilization that hasn't changed. And then you have, you know, very 21st century modern parts juxtaposed right next to each other. Um, so I, the longest I stayed in one place was like a year and sometimes I'd be in a place that might be a couple of days or it might be a couple of weeks or it might be a couple of months. I mean, it, it was, it was variable, hmm. man. Sounds like such a great, great thing. And again, I can't believe you did this for 15 years. That's just so incredible. Uh, tell everyone about your experience in South Africa and actually getting your current name, which is so, it's such a beautiful name, by the way. I love it. Thank you. I, I do too. Um, that was a very profound moment in my life. 
Um, because to be quite honest with you, by the time I was in college, I started to have some identity issues and some of them had to do with race and who, who I am. Um, so a name is important, right? Words, sounds, they're actually vibrational energy that is directed at you for your entire life. So there's this certain energy that is coming your way um, throughout your entire life. That's important. So imagine, for example, Blake, imagine you woke up and you looked in the mirror, right? And your name was Chin, La Chin Lao Gomez, you know, uh, I don't know, just some name that isn't your ethnicity. Yeah, isn't already your culture, Chin Lao Gomez right? would be pretty weird. <laughs> right? You look in the mirror and you're like, man, I'm not Chinese. I'm not Mexican. I don't know if you are or not. I'm just saying, right? But if you look in the mirror and you have a Chinese name and you're not Chinese or you're European, but you have a, a name, a Zulu name, okay? Yeah. Uh, it doesn't match. So for me and for most African-Americans, Fact of the matter is, our ancestors are African, but we carry European names as a result of European colonialism because of the, the slave trade. So I had a problem with when I started to come into consciousness about why am I here, who am I, and things like that. If I'm free, right, and my ancestors, right, are 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 African, why do I? I I'm not. I I don't have. I'm not Spanish. Uh, I had a Hebrew middle name and an English surname. And I'm like, nah, I didn't come from England. I didn't come from Spain, right? And I'm not, I'm not Hebrew. So more and more it started to bother me that I had a name that didn't fit who I really am. Mm -hmm. And this was an identity crisis. And maybe your listeners will remember, I remember when Roots came on TV when I was a kid, right? And I remember watching that and feeling ashamed because I was a part of the, the group that was enslaved. And I went to school and I was the only black kid in school. And I'm, all these other people, now they're looking at me funny because they watched Roots too. And there was a scene where uh, the main character at the time, Kunta Kinte, was you know, tied to a tree and he was whipped until he relinquished his name. And that was the moment his spirit was broke. So that was, for me, that was sort of a metaphor. So when I went to South Africa, when I stepped off this plane, there were a council of elders there that were there to meet me because I was helping them organize a, a conference. When I stepped off that plane, they said, listen, whenever the son of a soil returns home, they get a new name. And the reason was, is if you go away to a faraway place, if you take a trip, and you're either gone for a long time or you go someplace far away that's new, those new experiences ought to change you yes that you is ought to beautiful. be affected so it's like an actual rebirth yes it ought to affect you so when you come home you're not the same person anymore so therefore you need a new name and they said hey you've been away for generations right so now that you're back we want to talk to you. And when they say we, they don't just mean the people in the room. They mean the ancestors that are living in like another energy or vibrational form, but they're still present. And they say the ancestors, they can't call you. They don't know these European names. You need a name that they know so that they can speak to you while you're on their land and soil. So they gave me the name Sipiwe Baleka. Sipiwe means gift of the creator and Baleka means he who escaped, but it also means fast. And I, I was like, wow. I love that name. 
Um, and in order to honor my ancestors, when I came back to the United States, I had it legally changed. I love it, man. It's so great. And it, and it suits you so well, I feel like. You you strike me as such a happy person. Like Everything I see of you, you're smiling. And when we just talked, you were smiling a lot. And I... Uh, I appreciate that so much about so many various African languages is they they are spoken very happily and they say they have very happy words and Spirit Baleka is like a very happy name to me uh, aside from the underlying meaning of it um, it just sounds nice you know um, it's great man I love it, it. fit it, it fit when they gave me that name I finally was like man this is my real name this is a name I could be proud of I mean this is this my ancestors are giving me this name. This is how they see me. This is how they know me. So I was very, I'm very proud of it. And it just finally, you know, I don't know how old I was at the time, late twenties, early thirties or something like that. Finally, for the first time in my life, I felt that I had a name that fit. That's great, man. That's such a great story. So let's go ahead and fast forward a number of years now to when you come home to the United States and decide to be a truck driver. What prompted you coming home, like ending this 15-year journey, and what prompted becoming a truck driver? Well, you know, I'm doing all of these, I'm meeting all these amazing people and I'm working on all these amazing projects and I'm following my passions. But to be quite honest with you, I got burnt out. Right. All of this service, they don't call it the nonprofit world for no reason. Okay. Cause I didn't have any money. So I'm, I'm a little bit older. I, I've done a lot of amazing things, but one thing I haven't done is I haven't really made any money. I'm kind of burned out and I, I need a change. And I knew that. So when I came back to the United States, I had a friend who was driving a truck and he was like, this is a good match for you. You should, you should drive a truck. You got you can save some money. You've got plenty of time to think about what you want to do. It suits your nomadic lifestyle. And Blake, honestly, to tell you the truth, I my work history for the previous 15 years was not exactly traditional. Okay? <laughs> right. It'd be hard to cobble together a resume. <laughs> right. So um, I just didn't see any obvious pat employment path forward at the time. And it seemed like the only thing open to me was truck driving. So I kind of got into it by default. Um, I you came didn't have to, the usual things that would keep somebody from becoming a truck driver, which is to say like the usual objections that someone might have are like, oh, but I have this really comfortable house that like I really enjoy. I, oh, I have all these belongings that I've accrued. Like what would I do with them? Or, oh, I have this whole family that I started and I'm just supposed to leave them behind. You come home. It's like you don't really have any of those things tying you down. Yeah, you know what? I never really thought about it like that, but you're, you're right. I didn't. It wasn't a stretch for me. It wasn't a sacrifice. It wasn't something that seemed like crazy. In fact, it was the opposite of that. I was like, wow, I, this is a real job. I'm going to make a paycheck every <laughs> week. I don't have to worry about where I'm going to live because I'm going to live in my truck. And it, it just seemed to solve a lot of problems at the, at the time. Uh, and it gave me a chance to earn money. Uh, so I came out to Prime Inc., which is based in Springfield, Missouri, because um, they have a program where they will teach you how to drive, help you get your CDL, and then um, um, give you a job. Uh, it's a very great program, and that's how I started driving. And uh, so I got into got into truck driving kind of by default. And I was 140 pounds the day I came to Prime, and two months later. I had gained 10.7% of my body weight. I was now like 155 pounds and 
you know, for the first time in my life, I was starting to get heavy and unhealthy and I got scared. Yeah. It's funny. I actually, <laughs> I calculated that exact number myself and I wrote it in my questions to ask you the part of it of being 10.7% in two months, because I know that you gained 15 pounds in two months. And I was just thinking, you know, to a lot of people, 15 pounds might not sound like a lot, but when you start out only weighing 140 pounds, 15 pounds is a lot. Well, it's a lot when you think that was two months time. So what would I be at the end of 12 months, one year? What if I was 40 or 50 or 60 pounds heavier by the end of the year? Yeah. That's what got me. Yeah, totally. So uh, a couple of quick questions before we get into like the challenges and struggles of being on the road and what led to gaining the weight and then what you decided to do about it. Um, just generic truck driver questions. Uh, how many hours do you drive a day as a truck driver? Um, do you have days off during the week or is it like you're on for 25 days straight and then you get nine days off? What's the schedule like? So as a long haul truck driver where you're basically living in the sleeper berth of your truck, the way it works is you have 14 hours available to you to drive a maximum of, of 11 hours. Okay, so if you drive 11 hours or once you get started, your 14-hour clock runs out, then you got to shut down for 10 hours, okay? And you take a 10-hour break, and then you can start up again. And you have another 14-hour clock reset. You get 14 hours to drive another 11 hours. Okay. So that's how that works with the additional factor of um, you can only drive, what is it, 70 hours in an eight-day period. So you can't drive... 11 hours every day, seven days in a row. They kind of limit that too. So you're managing these several clocks. Um, but other than that, you, it's, it's dependent on you and the company you work for. So at Prime, it's all about you drive. It's, it's how much money you want to make. The longer you drive, the longer you stay out, the more money you make. If you want to take time off, you can take time off, um, but you're not going to make as much money. So it just kind of depends. For me, someone when I started driving, being a single man and and wanting to maximize my money, man, I'd drive three or four months at a time before I took a day off and went home to see my dad or something like that. You know, I'd stay out on the road three or four months just driving every day. Um, you have downtime. You, you, you will have time sometimes where you've just delivered a load and you're waiting for your next load. And it might take a day for you to get your next load. For, during that day, you're kind of off, but you're kind of not off because you might be, who knows, in some city yeah, way far away from where you live. Totally. Yeah, in the middle of nowhere. You don't have to drive that day, but you're still in your truck. And it's like, what are you going to do? And for me, I was like, how can I take advantage of these opportunities? I'm mobile. I get to see all of America. Most people have to pay money to go to different places of America. Here I'm in a profession where they're paying me to go all these places. So if I'm not driving and if I have downtime, I'm thinking, what can I be doing? So I might see a lake and I'm like, man, I want to go swim across that lake. Or I might see a mountain. I want to go climb that mountain. Or I want to go mountain bike riding. Or I want to go surfing. Or if it was the wintertime, I want to go uh, uh, you know, uh, snowboarding or skiing or something. So I'd try to find things where I was and do the things that I, I would do that would make me happy if I was living there. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't just sitting in my truck and just whittling my thumbs. You know, I was, I was trying to use that as an opportunity to do stuff. Yeah, that's great. 
I love it. So, all right. So even despite your kind of active mentality and personality, you still managed to, in your first couple of months, end up gaining 10% of your body weight. So I guess, tell us about the challenges that lead to that for yourself or truck drivers all across the country and the world. Because as most people know, like this is a, this is a very real major problem for people in that industry. Well, you have to realize if you've never driven a truck, right, you got to understand you're living in a box. You don't have access to a kitchen. You have food storage issues because you can't carry a big refrigerator or freezer and store a week or a month's worth of frozen food. Okay. Um, you're not getting to the local organic farmer's market or any of these specialty stores that sell the grass fed, hormone free meat, even if you could afford to buy it. Okay. Um, Meanwhile, you're driving a tractor and a 53-foot trailer, which is a big piece of equipment. And right away, your main concern is you don't want to hit anything. So most truckers, we don't like to leave what we call the trucker's grid, which is the main interstates and highways. Because the moment we do, you set yourself up for a lot of bad things to happen. You know, low bridges, weight restrictions, just getting caught in situations that are really difficult to get out of. So right. you're not you're not getting to the gym. OK, that's not happening. So you're in this really restrictive environment that is similar to like being an astronaut in outer space. You're, you're in a small, restrictive environment with all of these challenges um, that make it hard to function the way most people in America are accustomed to. I I really, really can't imagine. There's the the fitness piece of it. Um, it. It's so it's funny, like there's three major things that most people will talk about that are into um, living a good, healthy lifestyle. And that is diet, exercise and sleep and trying to kind of like lock in all three of those things. And as I think about it, Every single one of those would be so compromised by driving a truck all day. Like for one, I don't know where, like exactly what you said. I have no idea where you're supposed to go and get good food. Like that just ain't happening. And in terms of fitness, like you're, you're sitting down on your butt just all day long and then sleep. Like, it's not like, it's probably not the most comfortable bed in the entire world. You got like noise going on all around you. Plus you've been sitting all day. Like one of the things that leads to good sleep is the fact that you were exercising at some point during the day. Um, so it's like, it's, it's very hard to get any one of those three major sort of lifestyle things right. So I guess talk about what you did to try to help tackle that for yourself first. Well, I'm glad you mentioned the sleep because that's the part that really is not properly understood by the trucking industry, truck drivers, or even the general public. So for, for truck drivers, right, their main goal, the reason why they're doing the job like any job is you want to make money. And so if you want to make money driving a truck, that means you drive when the freight dictates. That means sometimes you're driving at night. Sometimes you're driving in the day. Sometimes you're not driving at all. You're waiting for the load. The problem with that is your schedule is always changing. And the problem with that is, is that will disrupt your circadian rhythms. Okay. So, you know, again, when the environment changes, the sun sets, the light goes down, sends a signal to your pineal gland. Hey, environment's changing. You need to change with it. Let's secrete hormones to make you go to sleep so you can be in harmony with your environment. Harmony's good. Disharmony's bad. There's all these things that happen that um, that are based on your circadian rhythms, which is 
your body's attempt to keep you in harmony with your surroundings, that the occupation of driving a truck trains you to ignore and override. So if I have a load that's delivering eight hours away and it's 9 p.m., I'm driving through the night. I'm literally telling my body, ignore the signals, ignore the changes, disregard them, override them. Right. And when you do that repeatedly, it disrupts your circadian rhythms. Mm-hmm. Now, the real issue with that is a lot of your hormone production is produced in your sleep. So if that production cycle is constantly changed, constantly thrown out of whack and disrupted, because as a truck driver, when you do sleep, a lot of times your sleep is interrupted. You have alarms going off in the truck um, th- that are signaling you something's not right. Um, you get a knock on the door. You got to pay a lumper or walk your bills in or put your trailer in a certain dock door. There's, or you're getting fo- phone calls from you know family or friends or your fleet manager or whatever. Most drivers are not getting six hours on interrupted sleep. And when you when you take those two factors, the change in your schedule that caused the disruption to your circadian rhythms and your interrupted sleep. It creates sleep deprivation that accumulates every day, every week, every month, every year that you drive. And then again, the problem with that is the hormones, including the hormones that regulate metabolism, are produced in your sleep. So what's really happening is the truck drivers are literally losing the ability to regulate hunger properly. They're not getting the signal that they're hungry and they need to start eating. So since they don't feel hungry, they skip meals. And then when they don't eat, their metabolism you know, goes into starvation mode and their body's just storing fat. It has nothing to do with them you know, or they're, it's the other way around. They're not getting the signal that they're full and that they need to stop eating. So they feel hungry. So they're just eating constantly in their truck you know, and when they stop. And, the, and it's, it's not a character issue. It's not a willpower issue. It's not a flaw in their, you know, in their mentality or anything like that. At the root of the problem is it's a hormonal issue that is the result mm. of, um, you know, the accumulated effects of sleep deprivation, which are just an occupational hazard. Yeah, there's just no balance whatsoever. So you asked me about, you know, what did I do to kind of counteract and take control of this? So one, I started studying metabolic endocrinology, which is like specifically how your hormones regulate metabolism and then realizing, okay, if I don't have any control over the sleep part, because a lot of it is outside the driver's control. Cause again, he's there to make money. He's driving when the freight dictates, you can't tell the company when the load is going to get delivered, they tell him. Right. So it was like, what were the other things that I could do to mitigate this? And so I basically, you know, I'm field testing every kind of equipment, every kind of fitness program, every kind of nutrition to find out what works, what doesn't work in this unique environment. And ultimately what I learned and what I realized that the mistake I was making and that most truck drivers are making and most Americans for that fact, especially if they're overweight or obese is one, I'm not turning my metabolism on before I start my day. So the first thing was I got to learn, how do you turn your metabolism on to its highest level? How do you engage your fat burning system so that it can be working while I'm driving? I had to learn how to do that. And then I had to learn, well, once I turn it on, how do I keep it on? And that, once I figured that out and hacked my own metabolism and and saw the results and got it in great shapes, and then I realized, okay, if I can break this down into a system, I can break this down into steps that anybody can follow. Then I have a program that I can help these drivers. And I was able to do that. And we got great results. And then, you know, that's what 
all, all of that research and all that we did with the drivers teaching them to turn it on by moving with max. You know, it's real simple. The way you turn your metabolism on, you got to move with maximum intensity for four minutes. Doesn't matter what the movement is, right? It can be any movement, but the key is you got to go maximum intensity. You have to create as much a demand for energy as your body can handle. And you know if you're doing it right, if you get to the point where you're breathing so hard, you can barely finish the sentence. Yeah. I think it's if so funny because four minutes probably sounds like not a lot to people, but man, it, it, the the concept of doing something as hard as you can for four minutes is a daunting concept. <laughs> but you know what? That concept is so important because again, here I am on the truck and if I have that old antiquated pre-Galilean, you know, you know, theory of weight loss and fitness, and I'm thinking in order to get results, I got to go to the gym for 60 minutes and I've got 25 minutes available to me. What do I think? And what do I do? I'm like, I don't have time to work out because I'm thinking it's got to take 60 minutes. So I never do anything. Yeah. So one of the things I learned was that I had to start, how do I fit this into a truck driver's normal routine? How do I make it convenient? Because if I have to go out of my way as a truck driver with all the restrictions that I have, it's not going to happen. So the biggest thing that I learned was, man, I have to change the concept. I have to shrink the time. What's the most effective, least time-consuming way to, to do this? And all the research was showing, it's all this high-intensity stuff. And so I started using a lot of digital health devices on myself and then with all these other drivers. And then when we crunched the numbers and, and studied what was working for the drivers, what we found was all the drivers that lost weight and they lost an incredible amount of weight in 13 weeks. One thing they had in common was they all had at least a minimum of four minutes of this high intensity, vigorous activity. And that became the standard. And it was like, man, even if you don't have 15 minutes, as long as you got four minutes and you do it right, you can get the benefits of a one hour workout. And so that was the first key that kind of unlocked, you know, the, the cure, the help that these drivers needed. It's so great, man. I love it. So how long after you started it yourself and you noticed it working for yourself, was it that you approached Prime, the trucking company you were working with, and said, hey, like, I think I'm kind of onto something here. I would like to try to help out other drivers. So in 2010, I kind of really was going through testing all this stuff on myself and figuring out. Um, in 2011, I'm still driving uh, I decided to get back into swimming and I'm driving the truck and I, and I, I end up going to masters nationals, I literally drive the truck into the parking lot, get out of my truck, go swim a couple of races. I'm thinking, eh, I'll go, I'll see some of my buddies. Maybe I'll have some fun. Maybe I'll make the top 10. I end up winning two events and swimming really, really fast. That's so and great. That's, yeah, it was, it, it was, it was bizarre because they never see anything like it. They never had anyone park a semi truck <laughs> parking lot yeah. at the swimming pool. Then I get out and I win these events. They don't, you know, I changed my name so they don't remember who I am. They have new, who is this guy? And then I swim my races and I get out and I go in my truck and I drive off and deliver my load, right? Um, but that's when I knew that I was onto something because I was like, wow, man, I got in a great shape. I have this minimal training and swimming and I'm still performing. So that was in 2011. So at the end of my lease, December of 2011, I went to Robert Lowe, who's the founder and owner of Prime, um, a great visionary leader of a, of a trucking company really cares about his drivers. And I, I didn't go to him with an idea. I went to him with a fully blown system. He, here's how it works. Here's the equipment. I can demo it for you. And I showed it to him and I was like, look, I can, 
I can measure and monitor your driver metabolism and I can make it 8% more effective and efficient. And I had the data to show it and prove it. And he's like, 8%? Really? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, that's a lot. And I'm like, yeah, that, that is a lot. Um, and so he was, Robert was already in it prepared to support a driver health and wellness program. Um, so he was ready and he was like, this is exactly what I need to, to help my drivers. And so he created this position for me at Prime called Driver Health and Fitness Coach. Um, and that was in 2012. So for me, it just happened to be one of those things where right place, right time. Here you had the owner of a fleet who was already thinking about how am I going to help the the health and wellness of my drivers. He was the owner of the fleet. And here you had a driver in that same fleet who was the right man for the job at the time. And we came together. And so it didn't take long for us to get the program implemented and get it started. Love it. It's just like when you were traveling, you know, just like the right doors opening up because all the, all the vibes are aligning. Yep. It's vibrational, man. I know that sounds hokey and people are like, man, vibration your energy there's only one energy in the universe and the most important currency you have is not money it's your vibration dude i totally agree with you so uh let's talk about getting drivers on your program so i would imagine and if like so there are some great small documentaries uh that were done about you that i will put links to on the half hour intern site i highly recommend people watch them um but in one of the uh, in one of the documentaries, one of the gentlemen said, "He's like, yeah, I remember like the first time I saw this or heard about it, and like the first time I saw Sapiway, I was just like, I'm never gonna do that." <laughs> He's like, and then here I am, and like and it's great, and I lost all this weight, and, like and I have never felt better, and I'm so happy. And I imagine that that has to be a very very difficult thing in that community of. Uh, and I, and something you mentioned again in those documentaries is you actually have to tell the people who you're training, Hey, look, I know that people at the, at these truck stops are going to be staring at you as you're exercising alongside your truck and they're going to be looking at you and whatever. And he's like, trust me, the only reason they're looking at you is because they're thinking to themselves, damn, I should probably be doing the same thing, you know? Um, so I guess talk about trying to get people to even enroll in the program and gaining their trust and everything and not making them just super skeptical of you. Well, that's the hardest part of the job when it comes to behavior change. People are ready when they're ready. I, I can talk till I'm blue in the face. I can talk. I can tell you all of the doom and gloom. Here's what's going to happen to you if you don't do this stuff. Or I can tell you all the benefits. Here's how your life is going to improve and how it's going to be great if you do it. Bottom line is, right, all that stuff is going to go in and one ear and out the other until a driver is ready. So at Prime, for example, the 13-week program at Prime that I run, right, it's a voluntary program. And the vast majority of drivers that enroll in the program are the drivers, and they come to me because they're scared, okay? They've just been to a doctor. They've been diagnosed with prediabetes or diabetes or high blood pressure or high blood sugar, or or they've had an event, and they've been told, you know, they got to take a sleep study. They might have sleep apnea, something like that. Um, or they're afraid they're, you know, they got to take their DOT physical, which, you know, they have to pass in order to qualify to drive the truck, and they're afraid that they're not going to pass, uh, or they're having life events where maybe someone in their family just passed from cardiovascular disease or diabetes, or, um, for example, you know, the drivers will come to me and they'll tell me these stories. And one woman enrolled in my program because she went to an amusement park with her granddaughter and they kicked her off the roller coaster because they couldn't get the lap belt across. Oh man. 
or there was a guy that came and he said, look, Sip, I'm tired of having to buy two plane tickets whenever I fly. It's humiliating. Um, and then recently, and I tell this story a lot now, I had a couple come to me and they were a team. They drove team. They drove together as a couple. And they said, hey, we went on vacation. We took a cruise recently and we couldn't do any of the activities. We couldn't. They, they had a weight restriction on horseback riding. They had a weight restriction on zip lining, and they realized they were missing out on life because they were unfit. So these drivers, these are the ones that are enrolling in the program, and when they enroll, it's they're coachable because they're ready for change. They just want to know, sip, what's the what do I need to do because I've got to make the change because they've hit that point, they either rock bottom or sick and tired or they're scared. So that's the one group of drivers. Now the other ones. You know, they hear this information, and most of them they're in denial. They don't. It hasn't really sunk in that hey, I'm in the most unhealthy occupation in America. Has the highest rate of obesity, highest rate of metabolic syndrome, which is a cluster of sixty medical disorders and twelve cancers, the lowest life expectancy of any occupation in America. Right. Average lifespan of long-haul truck driver is 61 to 64 years of age, which means long-haul truck drivers are dying 10 to 15 years earlier than the average North American male. Um, so it hasn't really sunk in, man, I'm at risk because I'm already overweight or obese. I'm sedentary all day, and I'm in the most unhealthy occupation. Man, I ought to be doing something about it. Mm. Trying to get through that you can't afford not to be doing these things. That's the challenge. And we're in an entire industry and even the general public that has accepted the idea or the concept that it's too easy. I mean, it's too hard to lose weight while you're out on the road. You can't eat healthy while you're out on the road. And if you're a truck driver, right, you're just going to be fat and unhealthy. We've accepted that image and that concept and we just kind of take it for granted. But Coming from, quote unquote, the fittest truck driver in America, that's not true. And in fact, people, I tell this all the time, people don't believe me when I say it. It's actually easier to lose weight when you're in the truck than it is when you're at home. Because when you're in that truck, you can focus on you. When you go home, you got other people to think about. You have to make compromises. There's all these other things, right? And I have people, they get in my program. After four or five weeks, they're doing great. They're losing weight. They go home. Three days later, they call me up and they say, sip. I can't wait to get back on the truck because I went home, I didn't eat right, and I didn't exercise. And now all of a sudden they're associating staying on their program and making progress with being on the truck and falling off the wagon when they go home. Happens every single time. That's so great. And I could not agree with you more. That is so true, man. Uh, a few years ago when I decided to, when I decided to uh, start eating paleo for the first time, I was living with roommates in San Francisco and I was the only person in the house that started eating paleo. Nobody else was eating paleo. And I remember like my third day into it or something, they, we threw like a party at our house. Like all these people came over for like a dinner party and they ended up ordering like all these pizzas and like bringing all this beer and stuff like that. And I'm sitting there with like a salad and a water and it's, it's like, that is hard. Like that is really hard when everyone else that you're staring at is, is doing something totally different than what you're doing. Um, yeah, what a nice thing to kind of be able to tie that in for these drivers that that you are in control of yourself. It's just you and the road out there. So so take care of yourself. 
Exactly. Great, man. So talk to us about your results, which are fantastic. So the 13-week program is sort of the core program that I, I run. Um, and the average weight loss at the end of 13 weeks is 19.6 pounds or 7% of your body weight, which is significant because the medical community says that if you lose 7% of your body weight, you effectively reduce your risk for metabolic syndrome, which again is 60 medical disorders and 12 cancers. Um, so that's what we average. You finish the 13-week program, you're losing 19 pounds or 7% of your body weight. Now, we have drivers that follow the program exactly the way I d designed it. that are losing 30, 40, 50, 60 pounds in 13 weeks without skipping meals. Because one of the things you have to do, and I talk about this in the book, 4-Minute Fit, um, is you got to eat every three hours. You have to give your metabolism work to do. But the key is, is you got to eat the right thing. Uh, so we have a lot of drivers that, um, again, they're losing this weight. They're coming off of medication. Uh, they have more energy. They feel better. Uh, they can get through their shifts better. When they finish their shift, they feel like doing stuff. When they go home, they feel like playing with their kids. Um, but I attended a seminar for Weight Watchers, and they were giving out their data. And so I kind of crunched my numbers to compare them with theirs. And we're outperforming Weight Watchers, which blew my mind, which basically means that this is the number one weight loss program in the country. And it's right here at a trucking company, which is the place that, you know, this is the industry that needs it the most. Yeah. So wonderful. It's such it's such great work that you're doing, man. I mean, you I I can't imagine like how how proud you must be of of yourself, like how proud you must be of all the different drivers that you get to work with. Um it must just be so awesome talking to them and hearing their stories about like A, there's the way that you're changing them physically, which is great, but the way that I'm sure you're changing them mentally and the way that they can interact with their families and stuff has just got to be such a, a blessing for them and their families. Well, yeah, I mean, that's that's really insightful of you, Blake, because I tell the drivers all the time, this program is not a weight loss program. It's a transformation program because I've seen it happen with drivers where they transform their lives. I've had guys, low self-esteem, they're out of shape, they're unattractive, they want to hide. You can hide in that truck, okay? They start losing weight. They start looking better. They start feeling better. They're... they're, they're image and concept of themselves changes. And I, I remember one guy, after he went through my program, he lost like 30 or 35 pounds. He continued to lose weight after the program. Best he had felt in 15 years. And he calls me up one day and he's like, you know, sip, I met a girl, we're engaged. And then they got married. And to this day, he credits me with being happily married and the happiest he's been in 10 or 15 years. And it was all because of you know, he lost this weight, but he realized that he had this power to change, to transform himself, to say, this is how I want to be. Here's the path to getting there. And I know that I'm the kind of person, I can follow a plan. I can go three months and achieve these things or six months. And so your horizon starts to get broader. You're like, man, if I can do this, man, what are these other things I can do? Plus, there is a direct link between what I call the abundant life and health or fitness. Because the more fit you are, and by fitness, what I mean is being able to do what you want to do when you want to do it. Okay. So if I want to get from here to there, right, and I want to get there quickly, I can run. I'm fit enough to run and I can do it in six minutes. 
Like if it's a mile, I can do it in six minutes, right? If I see a lake, I want to go swim across it. I'm fit enough. I can do it. So when you're fit, right? You can do what you want when you want to do it according to your fitness level. When you're financially fit, for example, and you want to go skiing this weekend in Switzerland and you're financially fit, you call up your travel agent and you're like, hey, book me some tickets and give me that great <laughs> resort. Sure. And, let me, and, and you don't even think about the price because you're financially fit. It's not a limiting factor for you. Now, when you're not financially fit, you don't even consider going to Switzerland to ski for the weekend because you have a free weekend. Because the first thing in your mind is, man, how much does that cost? And can I do that? Do I have the what? Power, the capacity. Can I afford to do it? So when you're fit, you only do the things you can afford to do. So the more fit you are, whether it's physically fit or financially fit, you can afford to do more. When you do more, you experience more. When you experience more, you what? You, you, you learn more. You grow more. You can have more joy. Or let's say it's the end, you do an experience and you get the opposite of joy. But those are what? The best learning experiences, aren't they? So if you have the proper mindset, you do an experience and it wasn't joyful, it was like dreadful, it was the opposite. But if you look for your lesson in it, that's where you make the most growth. Right. So Well, and then you get more mentally fit, you get more spiritually fit, you get more philosophically yes. fit. And it's like, the, it's so funny, like, it, to me, there's nothing more important to your mental health than exercise and then taking care of your body like like your all of your mental health and your personality and and your kindness and, and just like the vibrancy with which you approach any day all starts physically so if you get physically fit the rest will fall in line unfortunately it's not true the other way around you can't just get super mentally fit and all of a sudden your body looks great but you can make your body look good um, and then all of a sudden the other stuff falls in line. So it's a great place to start. Well, I'm going to go, I'm going to, I'm going to go a little deeper with you, right? First, first of all, I heard it said, someone once told me that your body or your physical appearance, right? Is a reflection of your internal standards. Now you may or may not agree with that, but here's what I've been hitting on lately, which is this, once you understand how energy is produced in the body, how it's produced in the mitochondria. That's where energy production takes place. And the biggest and baddest and most important mitochondria is found in your muscle, right? Because muscle has the hardest job to do it. It's responsible for carrying the entire weight of the body and moving it and fighting gravity. So in order to do that hard lifting, that hard work, it needs a lot of fuel. So it, the mitochondria in your muscle is very powerful. By contrast, the mitochondria in your fat cells, fat cells, all it's doing is storing stuff. It doesn't have to do a whole lot. So think of a, a U-Haul storage unit. The only time you need power in that unit is the 15 minutes you go in there to try to find something. <laughs> right. Okay. So the mitochondria in the fat cells is, is, is weak and wimpy. So muscle, very powerful energy producing fat cells is dead weight. So if you think about this, what you experience in life basically boils down to how much energy or vitality you have and how long you deploy it. So how much energy you have over the number of years that you have to deploy it and how you deploy it, that determines what you experience in life. So if you have a body that is lean muscle mass, you have like 10 or 8% body fat, right? And you have all this mitochondria energy producing capacity and you have 
not a whole lot of dead weight to carry around. So you move around more effectively and efficiently. You have a lot of energy left over to what? Do extra stuff. So you feel like doing stuff. So you go out there and you do stuff. And again, you have more experiences. So I'm like coming up with this equation that links what you experience in life to your mitochondria. At a biological level, that's what's happening. Yeah. The more energy you can produce. So you want a body where you have an efficient metabolism. You have plenty of mitochondria. You have excess mitochondria energy producing capacity. So you can use all that energy to, you know, at the end of the day, you're done working. It's like, man, I want to play with my kids. I want to go to the YMCA and go swimming. I want to play tennis. You know, I, I want to cook. I want to do stuff. Yeah. When you oh, don't yeah, feel man. like doing anything, it's because you lack mitochondria. That's why the bigger you get and the, the more fat you're having, the more you what? Sit on the couch and don't move and don't do anything because you literally don't feel like doing anything because you don't have the mitochondrial capacity to do more than that. Yeah, and I think we all know exactly how that feels, which is not a very good feeling, you know, so. Um, so, Piway, <laughs> this has been awesome, man. Let's finish this whole thing up with one last piece of advice for people. So, if you could give kind of like your number one piece of advice for people listening who are just not really as fit as they would like to be, what would that piece of advice be? Great question. Um, the one piece of advice. So I would say this, the most important and precious thing that you have is your health. It is the prerequisite for everything else in your life that's important. Right. You can't take care of your family if you're sick or you're in the hospital or you're dead. You can't work if you're not healthy enough to work. Right. Everything you do is predicated on the fact that you're healthy enough to do it. So that's your number one priority. So my advice is this, since that's the most precious thing that you have. Right. And that's your number one priority. Make that the first thing you do. When you wake up in the morning, before you go to do your second priority, which is your kids or your job, right, or all, all those other things, take four minutes to turn your metabolism on so that while you are awake and doing the rest of your day, your body is burning fat. It, it only takes four minutes, and it's for you. It's for the thing that enables you to do all these other amazing things that you want to do, either with your family, your kids, your spouse, and your job. So when most people, you get up, you get ready for your day. What do you do? You brush your teeth. You take a shower, right? So why not in the space between brushing your teeth, be like, okay, I'm, I'm taking care of my teeth health. Let me take care of my metabolic health. Let me do my four minutes to turn my metabolism on. Let me go take my shower and then go start my day. I love the it. Number one. Number one thing you can do is turn your metabolism on before you start your day. And it only takes four minutes. And for me, the key there is you saying like that you're doing it for you. Like that's really the right way to think about it. I think so often when we think about um, any form of exercise, four minutes or not, it's always like, oh, like, this is this thing I just like got to do. Oh, like I have to do this. It's, it's this gift that you're providing yourself. And that's, that's a really good way to look at it. But hey, you know what? I'm going to tell you this though. I mean, that is a great way to look at it, but that doesn't matter, Blake, because it it is something you have to do. For example, every single day, people do a number of things they don't like to do, they don't want to do, <laughs> they're not motivated to do, but they do it anyway, right? Especially when it comes to their job, right? 
Why? Because they feel they what? They can't afford not to do it. Man, if I don't do this, I might not get paid. I might lose my job. I might not be able to take care of my family. And then what will happen to me? So you you have a faculty you use every single day to override your lack of motivation and your lack of desire to do it, but you you still perform. So why is it you'll use it, that faculty to override all that when it comes to your job, but you won't use it when it comes to your health? And so what I'm saying is once you realize all of these things that you're up against, metabolic syndrome by being overweight or obese um, and not fixing your metabolism, if you can get to the point where you realize, man, I can't afford not to. If I want to die 10 or 15 years early right, and be sick and, and, and miss out on all these life experiences, okay. But if I don't want to do that, man, I can't afford not to take these four minutes. I got to do it whether I feel like it or not because I do it in other areas of my life. Amen, brother. I could not agree with you more. That it's preach, dude. That is great. <laughs> I love it. Um, Sapiway, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. So the book, which as of the date of this episode's release, will have just come out two days ago, uh, is again called Four Minute Fit. And I know a lot of you listening might not be truck drivers, but I'm sure pretty much every one of you sits at a desk all day or is stressed or this or that or like is is short for time because of children or whatever it is. So if you got four minutes, uh, it's it's just awesome. It's just such a great idea. And uh, Sapiwe, thank you again so much. This has been a real pleasure. Hey, Blake, man, I've enjoyed it. We've got so much more to talk about. Uh, so I'm excited about that. Um, I really hope your listeners um, can get something from this. Just like to mention, if you want to find out more about me or more about the book, right, um, you can go to 4minutefitbook.com forward slash intern, right? This is the landing page, Blake, for your podcast. Oh, I love it. Which is great. Yeah, it's absolutely great. Again, that's four. That's the number four minutefitbook.com forward slash intern. If you go there, you're going to be able to, uh, you can, you can buy the book from there and you can get the book at, you know, any of the retailers or online. It's, it'll be everywhere. Um, but you can also see videos and some of these documentaries. You can see some of these exercise videos we've done to show people what the four minute looks like. A lot of great resources there. Um, uh, so just want the listeners to know that that's available to them too. Awesome. Thanks for putting that together, man. Um, yeah, Sapiway, thanks so much. We appreciate it. Thank you, Blake. Hey, everyone. It's Blake. I hope you all enjoyed the episode. If you did, I would appreciate it so much if you considered leaving a review for the show on iTunes. I swear it'll only take like two minutes. Um, just search for the show on iTunes, click on it, click on ratings and reviews. You can leave a quick review um, or just uh, keep listening to the show. I appreciate that as well. Or tell a friend about the show or something. And if you have any ideas for the show, if you have a particular job or hobby that you would like to hear interviewed on the show, if you yourself think that you do something interview worthy and you would like to tell the world about what this job or hobby is that you have, head on over to halfhourintern.com. There's a link right there at the top that says submit your ideas and you could submit your ideas for the show be them uh, somebody else that you would like me to interview a particular field that you would like to hear about or even if it is you yourself that would like to come on the show thanks so much for listening you guys